What makes Chuck Wagon the only taste dogs love to chase? It's gotta be that great Chuck Wagon gravy. The kind of thick, rich, meaty gravy dogs love so much, they just have to chase it. Chuck Wagon brand dog food from Purina. The great gravy taste dogs love to chase. Are you ready for your future? As we enter this new year, this year of 2017 in business or our personal life or the world more broadly, it seems there's more question marks than ever before. It would seem, at least from the news, Facebook feeds, and the general consensus that we're coming into 2017 with at least a bit of a gut-level optimism that it's going to be a better year than last year. But what about in business? What about our content? What about our career? Are we ready for what 2017 promises? Now, this is the time of year when you're going to see tons of articles about future-proofing your strategy and what you should be prepared for and warnings about all the new stuff coming out that's going to affect your strategy, your personal life, and the world more broadly. And one of the challenges that we all face, of course, in getting ready for this future is whether we should learn all the new stuff or decide that we're going to nail down the basics of the things that we're already doing. It can certainly be tempting to double down on the new. It is, after all, new. In most cases, as leaders in our organization, whether you're an existing leader or coming up through the ranks, we need to remember we are also teachers. We are the new adopters of technologies, of new processes, of strategies, and approaches that will help our teams, our businesses, move forward. And so, it's up to us to balance the question of whether and when we chase the future or master the present. We need to remember that it doesn't matter how fast the world outside seems to be acclimating to the technology around us. This is why or how we lead. We manage when and where we should change. We lead by helping our teams establish the foundation of this change for us to master the technologies and processes that are new or the strategies, processes, and technologies that are already in place. And that's the theme of our show today, Chasing the New, or mastering the now and knowing when to do each. And how practicing the old masters the now and readies you for any future that comes along. In the immortal words of Ice-T, the new kids now, they can rap, but they're scared of the crowd and the stage. That takes time and practice. Mastery of the stage is the art of the MC. And I don't know if you've seen any great ones on stage, but when you do, it's like, wow, this is more than words to rhymes. And with that, it's time for us to take the stage with our little rap show. This year, 2017, marks the 164th hour we've spent recording for you and into the thousands of hours that we've spent writing and prepping for all these shows. And every week we do, it feels like practice for something awesome. So you ready for some practice for the future? Well, then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys.
Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 164 of PNR's This Old Marketing. Recorded Monday, January 2nd, 2017, our first show of the year. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the MC Master Orange of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Could you ever even come out on stage as a musician or a rapper and say MC Master Orange? <laughs> Just <would> not, <laughs> right. Everyone would leave. No one would show yeah. up, actually. For well, that. that's true. Yeah. yeah, no, no. I, I, I think. I, but see, here's the thing that the m- many in the world don't know is is that you actually do. You're actually a pretty good rapper. Well, I guess if you're grading out a scale, uh, yeah, well, on a curve, there's a bit of a bell curve. There's a bit of a bell curve. Yeah, for you know, for growing up in the mean streets of Sandusky, Ohio, yeah, I'm I'm okay at uh, there you at, go <laughs> at rapping, but I enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, sometime we'll just have a rap show, and you and I can go. You know, yeah, no, back no, no, no. See, I'm like see that. if you're if you're if you're good at it on the bell curve, I'm like horrible on it on the bell curve. I have, but you are, zero I mean, but you are way, when it comes But you're to a musician. I mean, that's I, I mean, am. Yeah. So, but so, give me blues or give me rock and roll, and you know, a straight four four beat, and I'm your guy all day long, right? But you know, other than that, no. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe we go out on a tour, and, and you know, you work the keys, and I'll go out and <laughs> yeah. you work the keys and the drum you machine. Talk about nobody showing up. <laughs> <laughs> this is, folks. For 2017, we're going to get away from this content marketing Hello, thing. it's the PNR Rock and Roll Show. <laughs> Hello, Detroit. We love you. Oh, hey, it was Happy exactly. New Year. Uh, happy did you New have Year a, to you, was too. It, was it an uneventful New Year? Good. Like, it, was, it was, no. This year, I tried something a little different. Um, we have made sort of a practice of really not doing much on new year's we would stay home and you know get a fire going and have a nice dinner and sort of talk about what we want for the new year and dreaming and all you know that kind of thing and this year we actually went out to a party we actually went out to a went out to malibu onto the beach and there was a wonderful little party there at a club that we're members of and and um it was it was fun it was we had a good time it was some nice yeah you don't usually like that kind of thing so you actually had a good time though I we did have a really fun time. Yeah, it was. We now I will tell you we didn't stay through midnight. We we st- we stayed until really the so it it it, it became like right around uh, ten thirty or eleven o'clock. It became like a thing, right, with the kids and the DJ and the you know you talk about rap and sort of you know the I mean it became like a thing, a Hollywood kind of thing, and and it was just clearly not our crowd anymore. And so at that point, we sort of decided to skip the whole rest of the evening and went home and celebrated the turn of the year at home, you know, watching uh, Anderson Cooper and (laughs) what's her name? Did you watch uh, Mariah Carey? I, I saw it. I I missed it live, but then saw it as soon as people started posting. I can't watch it. I read a story about it. I can't watch it because I know that it'll just hurt. It hurts. It. It, it for those who are in the public eye or actually have a speaking sort of or perform. You know how bad that can feel, and so you you know. Now I don't think it was sabotage, like her manager is saying, but it's, <laughs> it's like I can't imagine the producers are backstage going, you know, let's you know, let's ruin Mariah Carey's career simultaneously as we ruin ours, right? You know. So well, didn't the tech yeah. guy say? I mean, in the article that I read on the Times, it said that there was no techno- technology malfunction functions this was just i mean was there or wasn't there 
Because I don't the know. Story said I mean, no. well, certainly there should be there the there either should be a backing track for her to sing uh, or lip sync against, yeah. or they were playing a musical backing track in which we, she was going to sing live. And she clearly missed her cue. I mean, there's no doubt. You can see that on the thing. She missed her cue. And, and you know, and, and then she missed it again um, when they turned back around to the next. And then at that point, she was sort of, I think, completely thrown off. And whether there was supposed to be a track that she was supposed to lip sync to or whether there was a she was supposed to sing over music um, and backing tracks. I, you know, that will, I guess, never actually ever be answered. Well, as you know, like we don't go out for New Year's Eve. We do New Year's Eve. Yeah. So we always yes. go with our friends. And uh, the, the adult this year, out. Yeah. Did, I don't even know if you know, this year it was Night Ranger. We went and saw Night Ranger. I, I, so I saw some Facebook posts oh, about yes. the Night Ranger. Yes. Which it is was, lovely. It that's was a, wonderful. I, I'm still playing Night Ranger thing. today. That oh. was that was the first concert I ever went to. The Night Ranger Night Ranger and Outfield were the was the first concert I ever saw at the Ohio State Fair. And, so. it, and it shows some lasting power in the fact that I have zero idea who Outfield is and I completely remember Night Ranger. Really? Oh, I can't even think. See, now I can't remember. The the Outfield had like one of the greatest songs of all time. That's really? It. Yeah. Hold on. Just go ahead and, and stall while I look. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has to. Their best song was. Well, there's, you know, of course, Night Ranger is, you know, Sister Christian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's, I mean, that's, that's, that's classic 80s rock right there. Is is is, okay. is what yeah, that see, is. See, this is where we need to have a live show because somebody would call in and say, "Well, of course, um, man, I can't think of it." Well, you'll find, find it during. It. You know what you should do is is this is the teaser for the end of the show. You'll find it before we end. Before you know, because during one of my rants or you know during something, you'll 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 go find it. Okay. Well, we'll look we'll look for it and we'll we'll do that and uh, All right. figure out while you're doing like while you're talking and I'm not paying attention to you. There you uh, go. I'll look it up and and we'll we'll figure that there, out. Anyways, did, <laughs> oh, since you've been gone, that's the that's the song. Yeah, I, you don't. It doesn't. I, that, no, I hear I hear Kelly Clarkson when I hear since you've been gone. So like, I have no idea. That's really. I know it's sad, sad, really, when you think about it. Yeah. All right. All right. Anyways, we probably should. Shall like, we get to the very get to slow the news week that was last week? Sure. Why not? <laughs> All right. So it was indeed a very slow news week between the holidays, but there is something that's making sort of the viral business news, um, and we should definitely talk about it. it. Opens up our show for sure. Comes to us courtesy of AdAge.com, although many of the publications out there are speaking about it. And it's about this thing called Methbot, an ad fraud scheme costing advertisers $3 million per day, says the article headline. Opens up by saying, a complex ad fraud scheme has been siphoning $3 million to $5 million per day since October from the largest U.S. brands and media companies, making it the most profitable and advanced operation seen by the industry to date, according to a new report from White Ops, an anti-fraud uh, security firm. By comparison, other large, well-known ad fraud attacks garnered $200,000 to $900,000 a day, White Ops said. A group of Russian hackers, I think everything these days is <laughs> Russian hackers, were behind the attack, so says White Ops. I, you know, I can't imagine, you know, as they're writing this press release, I'm like, uh, they're like, oh my gosh, what, Russian, of course it's Russian hackers. Everything is Russian everything. hackers. Anyway, collectively dubbed Methbot by White Ops, 
The bots apparently scam publications like Huffington Post, The Economist, Fortune, ESPN, Vogue, CBS Sports, and Fox News. Um, overall, about 6,000 publishers were hit, according to the report. Social media websites also were not immune to the attack either, as platforms like Facebook were also hit, it said. So what do you think? I mean, is, you know, this... Uh, this to, I have a I have a take on this in terms of uh, in terms of ad tech, but but what, what did you have a take on this as a publish from the publishing perspective? Well, I, no, I mean the the first thing is is that 2016 was definitely the year for Russian hackers. That's yeah, exactly. That we <laughs> had a good year. <laughs> it was Russian hackers this year. You said yeah before. You need to get a T-shirt. I'm a Russian yeah. hacker. Yeah, because they get uh, credit for everything, right? It's by the like, way, we you know. do have a lot of listeners in Russia, so nothing personal. But I mean, I mean, you you have you have a a deep bench of hackers in, in absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's just dos vadanya. Yes, like, yes, it's got to be a major. It's got like at the University of Moscow. It's probably the number one major majors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what are you? Of course you're a hacker. It's like, oh, you know, we you know we drop out of engineering and we're going into hacking. We drink um, vodka and we hack. That is what we do. <laughs> um, I guess what this outside of the fact that I think this is a fairly big deal if you're in yeah. a programmatic. Uh, if you if you're selling programmatic, you've got an issue here because there's there's a cr- big credibility issue. But I guess the thing that it teaches you, just as a brand in general, is can you even trust your traffic today? I mean, you don't even you can look at traffic and you can try to identify some trends, but with all the weird ways that a website's going to get traffic today, you really just have to focus on other indicators. I mean, even with I mean, even with our analytics that we look at, sometimes you just get weird traffic coming to your page and trying to hit what you, what you have on your page. And in this case, of course, they're trying to siphon off traffic and then you know throw different ads against it and all. The, it's just it's just ridiculous that there's even such a thing like that. So my the thing that I keep thinking about is how much can we now really look at? Okay. This is this traffic coming from these dark sites that we have no idea can. We probably just have to ignore it and look at under other indicators. It's it's a it's going to be a huge issue, right? I mean, some of the you know I was reading over the over the last week, sort of catching up on not that I necessarily need to catch up on industry reading, but I was actually really enjoying diving into some of the stuff that I I don't get a chance to sort of really dive deep into over the last week and. You know, there were a lot of self-congratulatory sort of ad tech posts and articles out there saying everybody predicted programmatic was going to really suffer in 2016, and it didn't. It grew, and it became the thing. This is the kind of thing that is absolutely going, you know, because I've been a bear. Anybody who's a frequent listener of the show knows I've been a, a bit of a bear on the on the idea of programmatic advertising, and, and I think it just has to flatten out at some point and then ultimately decrease because you just – you can't continue to scale that in a way that 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 certainly makes sense from a quality standpoint and this is just the proof of it right because anytime you automate the idea of buying and selling and arbitraging of 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 real screen real estate you've got you immediately set up the 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 you know the fertile ground for fraud um, and you know the fact that nobody, no human, has to be involved in the purchase or the selling of the real estate of these major publications just sets up. You know, it, it just it, it sets you up for this, right? And so, how is that possible, anyways? Like, how can you sell New York Times inventory? And well, you're you not can- selling New York Times inventory. So for that, what you're doing is you're selling fake New York Times inventory, right? 
So in other words, you go on and offer up, this is why it's fraud and not actually just, you know, gaming the system. You know, like, remember in the old days, demand media would do this, right? You know, you would set up just thousands of websites and then you would go do Google ads against it yeah. and you would hopefully, you know, you would arbitrage that traffic in, in a way that got you more dollars using AdSense and so on and so forth. Well, this is actual fraud because, and now my my ceiling of knowledge on this is relatively shallow, but but the way I understand it is, if you're sell, what you do is you set up a fake New York Times site, right? That looks like the New York Times and behaves a little bit like the New York Times, and 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 then what you do is you actually go sell that on these open exchanges where you can actually sell the real. So they're selling false real estate, basically. And then what's happening is is that the programmatic bots are actually going out and buying this on this on these exchanges, and so they're selling fake traffic. So they're actually getting real ads that are clicking through to fake New York Times or fake HuffPo and that sort of thing, and that's where they make their money. So two hundred. I mean, if these numbers, two hundred and fifty thousand. Is that right? Wet, fake websites. I mean, that's ridiculous. So yeah, the New York right. Times well, the, and, and like using, every so other publication in the world. I mean, I mean, if you want to talk about a technology that's really, you know, where the Russian hackers are really sort of beginning to, to, to shine here, it's being able to create technology that actually spiders indexes and pulls all of this content in to build these websites almost automatically. I mean, that's really outstanding use of technology to actually pull all this stuff in. And you see it all the time where, you know, there are, you, know, you and I have seen, you know, definitely, you know, our blog posts and, and we've, we know friends in the industry where their blog posts get ripped off all the time and appear on these, just like you you know, you do a quote for your own blog post title and all of a sudden you see it on some Polish or Russian or Ukrainian or, you know, you know, all kinds of different, you know, Chinese, you know, websites and you see it there and, and it's your content and there's not much you can do about it other than be really angry about it. But that's the that's what this is, right? Well, the last line I think is the one that caught my attention the most. According to the Association of National Advertisers, ad fraud will cost the industry seven point two billion in two thousand sixteen, up nearly one billion from the previous year. Yeah. I mean that's and and at some point at some point the media strategists and the sellers and more likely the buyers are going to say enough is enough. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to be putting our, our, our content into, you know, we're not going to be basically making these strategies into um, these programmatic exchanges because it's just not worth it. It's, you know, it's not, the discount is not worth it. Well, I think that if you look at the, uh, the content recommendation, opportunities and then you've got this going on i mean you, if you're just buying advertising today it's not easy to do if you're going to do it not. if you're going to do it from a programmatic standpoint if exactly. you're going to do it from a with a real partnership with an organization that's different you're buying directly yeah. that's different and i you think know, that's what we're going to have to go back to yeah and i think you know i mean for a long time the calculus has been at these you know advertising and media strategies that have done this at scale the calculus has been well yes we understand that some level of fraud exists, but the money that we save by programming this, you know, automatically across a network of websites and buying that traffic is worth it, right? So they just look at it like a tax. But at some point, you just have to go, you know what, the tax is too high. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, mm -hmm. the, it's like that classic Saturday night, the, the rent is too damn high. You know what I mean? It's like the the playing on rented land is going to be too damn high at it's some so, point. It's so weird. This is sort of off the topic, but on the topic, I read it this morning that there's, I can't remember the name. You Maybe you saw it. 
but there's this name of this privacy uh, security, social media security company that are breaking into all these sites, all these really popular social media sites and other that it's and basically saying, Hey, we hacked your site. You need our services. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Oh, that's my been around God. for a uh, yeah, I know. Not, this is just that is not a great business development tactic. I would <laughs> 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 we got is, you. Now you have to give yeah. us money. It's like holding them hostage. Yeah, it is. It, that's exactly. Well, that's that's not like it. It's that's no, exactly it, yeah, it, what it, it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> How's All that working right. for him? Yeah. Well, yeah. Know that. well speaking okay. of speaking of that, let's move on to our next story here, which is about technology itself. And our, these are the technology trends that are going to transform content marketing. Uh, this uh, article comes courtesy of thenextweb.com, and it opens up by saying, content marketing is rapidly evolving. Producing generic content, throwing it out there, hoping for a miracle is no longer a marketing strategy. Not sure it ever was. Oh, yeah. but, okay. when, the, when was that a thing? <laughs> but if, it's, if, it, if it wasn't in 2016, it's definitely not in 2017. Anyway, for any business that stopes to stay competitive, spun content on web pages generated videos and other poor content marketing strategies will often have a negative impact on your brand, says the article, making your business that much less to succeed. And so uh, they go on to then talk about some of the interesting technology trends that are going to transform the idea of content marketing. And I basically found one of them useful. I don't know about you. Yeah, I found one useful. Uh, the other ones, uh, I said before, it's it, to me, this is this, <laughs> nothing against the author. It's a no, bunch, no. It's a yeah. bunch of hoo-ha, in my opinion. Uh, and by the way, second week in a row, I've used hoo-ha. Yeah, the hoo-ha. Mm. The first one is artificial intelligence. Of course, we're covering that in-depth, that intelligent content conference. The, the issue here is that maybe 1%, probably less than 1%, can do anything with content and artificial intelligence right now. That's right. So not sure this is a trend. This is a, it's a long shot, if you will. Uh, the next one, Internet of Things. Are you serious? Right. Like, like this is something for 2017 or that we Internet got. of Things is a thing, that, but it's not a marketing yeah, thing. It's not, not and it's not a not content yet. marketing thing as not to this yet. point. Because, I mean, it's interesting. Oh, content marketers will be able to provide customized content based on location, monitoring da- data, and real-time alerts straight to the device. Yeah, when? maybe in let's get our website in order first. Yeah. <laughs> maybe let's get <laughs> like, that email newsletter with MailChimp going. The? And then let's figure out how we use the Internet of Things to put content in the refrigerator. But this is, this is such the issue. We hear it all the time where uh, I think I wrote a... a I wrote an article last year. It says focus on the 95%, not the 5%. Like get really good at the basics first. Like just do basic meta tagging that works. Just understand where your content is at in your organization. Those are really helpful things. And most organizations don't have that. And then they're going forward and you get your chief marketing officer that's really excited about this Internet of Things or AI stuff. And we're like – you're not even close to being there yet. You don't have the That's basic right. blocking and tackling. It's like, neat to do this. It's, yeah, it's neat. Set up, you know, set up a, a, a lunch and learn where you bring in, you know, the Oculus Rift thing, and you pull in some people, and you have a fun test, and you go, you know, ooh, let's imagine what we might do three years from now with this, um, and let's figure that out. But but not 
this is not going to to your point it's like let's master to the theme of the show let's master the what we're doing let's let's get really good at what we're doing before we start adding a bunch of new stuff in here well, like, because guess what nobody it, you, you can look at all these articles and you can look at everybody out there and you can assume that your competition is making great strides in this area and they're not they're just know that they're not they're they're struggling just like you are well the I had this question last year. So after Content Marketing World last year, there was an attendee that came up to me and say, said, you didn't do any sessions on virtual reality. <laughs> and right. I said, that was purposeful. I said, right. I don't want any anybody there really focusing on virtual reality or augmented reality, which is number three in this article, by the way. Right. Uh, exactly. Thinking that that's something we should focus on when it's just, you know, yeah, it's it's going to be a big thing someday. But who? What company even has their ducks in a row to look at that right now? Besides a you know a Sony uh, or a or, you know or a true you know media company that is looking at this, and even those I would question the validity. Well, sure. Outside I mean, testing. there's some interesting things going on, some interesting experimentation. You know, GE's doing some interesting things, and you know these are companies that look at these, but they are not the bread and butter staple of what we do in marketing, right? They they you know what we need to figure out is how to get really good at creating the customer experiences that exist today and then figure out okay great what you know what should we be paying attention to in the future but these are not going to transform your 2017 strategies what what should transform your 2017 strategy is getting good at all the stuff we thought up in 2016 you uh, number four is live streaming, and you said that's the one. You thought yeah, that has some validity. One. I would like. I'd love to hear your take on on that. So one. I think. Well, I think live live content is the interesting thing. I you know there's like but there's been a couple of things that have come up over the last couple of weeks. One one we didn't talk about it last week on the show, but Facebook now has live audio, not only live video, but they have a live audio. Um, streaming capability. And I think that's going to be a really interesting one for 2017 is for podcasting, for sure. Um, It's something that even I've wanted to put a little time into for this show to see if maybe there's something there for fun that we could simultaneously record and broadcast live on Facebook at the same time. That might be interesting to do. Um, I think live video at events and live video, generally speaking, is really going to be, you know, an, an interesting thing in next year, this year, I should say. Um, and you know, how we, how we interact with content from a, you know, live perspective, real time perspective, I think is going to be, become a more prevalent thing for the experiences that we're creating for customers, because whether they're events and we're trying to capture the, you know, the, the feeling at the event or whether it's a weekly show or, you know, something that we're doing consistently, that aspect of live has a specialness to it. You know, as, as Andrew Davis likes to say, right, it's the appointment, you know, it's the appointment television, it's the appointment content that you're making live is a really great way to do that. And so I think it, I think that'll be as, as that technology has become more democratized and easier and quite frankly, the quality of it is improved. I think we're going to see that become a thing. I think that some companies can do this. But very, yeah, very few. Well, look, this Again, is like this is this is like anything, right? I mean, this is the 
video, generally speaking, has a higher learning curve than others, right? And and doing it well is difficult because it's a linear technology where you capture the movement and the feeling and the emotions that are going on in the moment. I think you're right. The talent level needed for that is is much higher. Well, so let's take like a Cisco Systems, right? If, so yeah. you're, you're going to yeah. have to create a show out of it. You're going to have to have talent that is, are the regular people on the show that are going to be representing Cisco Systems. You're going to have to make sure you vet all this through legal, which is a huge issue for a lot of these big companies. That's right. So, so you, yes, you can do well, that's all a that, good but, point. But if, if there's a good point there, yeah, if you're, the, if, the you're you, if it's you yeah. or me or an influencer out there, yeah, we can get out there, do live video. We can experiment with it. We can have fun with it. We can build a following. We don't have any of those barriers to go through like a large company does, or even a even a a larger small company that they would have to go through where you're like, okay, who's going to be the live talent to do this? Are we going to hire it? Is it going to be the CEO? Probably not. So I think that, again, we, we think about, yes, is live video an opportunity? And Facebook is probably one of the biggest reasons why, more, probably more than Meerkat or Periscope, that this is uh, a really big thing, right? Because you could do this now on Facebook. You and I could start right now. We could launch the podcast. We could, they could see us do it. They could hear us do it. But if you don't have that regular process in order with the talent and worked out with legal and the other departments in your organization, it's going to be really hard. Well, that's a fair to point. Do it. That's an absolutely fair point. And, and one I hadn't really considered in sort of thinking of the realness of it for a 2017 strategy. So I think you're right. Ultimately, the bottom line here is that in 2017, some companies will be able to do this. And, you know, and it's not just a talent issue, but it will also be a permission issue. It'll be a capability issue to get, you know, to, you know, I mean, look, I've talked on this show and I have, we have many clients where I've, you know, that today even it takes two weeks to get a tweet out so just going exactly. to that same organization and saying hey we're going to set up this live facebook show the legal people's head are going to explode at that point go no 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 you're really not going to do that so thank you very much for playing yeah the yeah the, the, the casey neistads of the world can do this so cnn can, <laughs> right, can purchase exactly. purchase his yeah. time he can represent it focus on a new audience go out and do this thing and maybe that that's probably Something for companies, you know, people with larger companies listening to this uh, could say, hey, maybe you should partner with an influencer who yeah. already is used to this, doing the you know, live production, has it all set up and, you know, create that partnership or, or purchase their services in some way. Yeah. Oh, well, that's an interesting aspect of it, too. Yeah, for sure. All right. Moving on to our last story of the show here. Our first of 2017 is something about 2017, and it comes courtesy of Digiday.com. And uh, the very, very sunrisey, sunshine, unicorn headline says, 2017 is going to be a bloodbath. That's right. (laughs) Says a beleaguered independent publisher that they interviewed for this article. So this one did not spray a lot of positive vibes onto me, but um, um, this one, I, I, I purposely picked it for Joe because he's definitely got a take on this. The article opens up by saying surviving as a digital publisher is hard enough, but it's even more so for independent pure play digital media companies that don't have massive scale or other business lines to lean on. I suspect that's where Joe will uh, have his take. But for the latest installment in our anonymous confession series, we talked to an exec at an independent publisher who worries about making it in a world where most of the ad dollars are going to Google and Facebook. So, Mr. Polizzi, what did you think? Oh, I, 
I actually love this article. I, oh, I love Fantastic. the I love the seething negativity of this yeah. article. For some, you know, I, instead of well, we get so many. Hey, here's all the wonderful things. Like the last one. Here's the right. six amazing things you can do in right, 2017. Exactly. This right. one's like screw it all. It, it's exactly. over. The world is I, coming to I an pitch- end. I pictured this guy when the, when I was reading the interview. I pictured this guy sitting in a corner, sweating, rumpled shirt and tie, smoking a cigarette, going, "Let me tell you something about what it's going to be like, kid. This is going to suck." It's like he's like uh, Mr. Potter from uh, yeah, "It's a exactly. Wonderful Life." <laughs> Matt Bailey, I hate, I hate him. Um, the, so a couple things. One is they talk about the the duopoly or the Facebook Google duopoly that's going on right. with ad dollars, and and the uh, the interviewee here says that it's killing publishing. It's not killing publishing. We, we talk You're about killing this. me smalls. It's it's not killing publishing at all. It's it's killing the business model behind publishing. Right. Uh, well, we've talked about the, the the opportunity here, if there is one in this very depressing article, is that media companies and publishers need to look at generating different rev- diverse revenue sources outside of advertising. Because if if you really are focusing on 100% advertising model, you're right. It's mostly we talked about this what last couple of weeks. It's yeah. mostly going to Google and Facebook, and that's the way it is. Um, I thought that was interesting on the favoritism point, where Facebook really can pick who they want to showcase and who they don't and who they want to pay and who they don't. We talked about it last week where Google, you know, one of the one of the companies that we've worked with, you know, Google is paying them directly to create content for them. Uh, Facebook is doing the same thing. So, you know, if you're not one of the elite publishers that, you know, that, that are being asked to create content, and you're getting paid because, you know, Facebook is subsidizing its content. Uh, it's unfortunate. So, you know, Facebook is playing favorites and, you know, we know where that gets us. But the number one thing that I think that is worthy to talk about is how, what was it? Beginning of the year, last year, the year before that native advertising was going to be the godsend for all these publishers. And it looks like that's not the case. So all the stats that we see coming out for sponsored content and native advertising for these publishers are that a lot of brands are not renewing. Uh, and it's very hard to measure. And this uh, this publisher here being talked about is can't scale it. And you know what? You can't scale custom content. Well, that's right. <laughs> it's, you're not going to do it. Exactly. These are this is just like agency services. This is agency creative services. It's very tough to do this model, and uh, and to get and obviously repeat business is hard to come by. So, I mean, uh, I love this whole this whole headline is native advertising was once supposed to be the savior of publishing. What happened? And I think that uh, you know it's gone from a savior to stinker. I don't know what you call it, but it's this is a big issue. Um, and then. Of course, we just talked about content recommendation engines. <laughs> this publisher has nothing good to say about them. It's the <laughs> it's the bottom feeding of it's. He says it's the it's uh, the underbelly of the internet. So it's interesting how we see. So so we look at how content marketing is playing into this, specifically into sponsor content, native advertising, and content recommendation, where brands are buying a lot of these uh, content assets, if you will. It's a, this is a problem. So if it's not working for publishers, you're going to see publishers where we know that majority of publishers and media companies have opened up native advertising opportunities. Well, if it's not working for them, they're either going to go out of business 
or they're they're going to go in another direction. So those opportunities are not going to be there anymore. Well, it's a great point. I mean, and so this to me, I mean, what this came back, you know, so the marketer in me read this and went, you know, I, you know, I, I picked up a pet cat, shaved my head, and I got up in my mountain evil lair and went, <laughs> now is the time to strike. You know, I put on my Russian hacker, right, my T-shirt. And, <laughs> to me, it, it, to me, this is the opportunity because if you start looking, right, so in the very first, in the lead of this article, they talk about the idea of, you know, the, the answer being diversification, right, to getting into new business lines. And we've talked about it ad nauseum on this show about how media companies are integrating different kinds of businesses to succeed. We've talked about T-Brand Studios and the New York Times and Courageous Studios with CNN and Condé Nast and Wall Street Journal and The Guardian and, uh, you know, Rogers up in Canada. I mean, all of these media companies are diversifying to create different business lines to compete in the new world. And so, yeah, okay, so put that to the side a second. Do, what do we think is going to be easier for if we if we buy if we believe what this guy says sort of just all the way through that it's going to be a bloodbath that mid-level publishers are going to really struggle here that unless you have scale you're not you're you're, you're going to be able to succeed and all that stuff then what do we actually believe as companies is going to be easier? Is it going to be when we start competing for access to audiences, is it going to be easier for us to rely on these failing mid-level publishers to scale our business efforts and to get access to those audiences? Or is it going to be easier for us to start to compete with them and integrate media operations into our where we don't need eyeballs, we don't need advertising business models. We can use this as a way to deliver value through media to companies or to excuse me to customers and extract the value of that through the data and through the customer relationships and the things that we can build through a content marketing approach. Which one of those things do we think are going to be easier? Because to me, if the answer is so clear. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should tomorrow throw away everything we're doing as a business and say, hey, great, now we're going to be a media company. But evolving into that competency to vertically integrate all of these kinds of business value for our own business, just it seems to me to make just so much sense. And I just I I can't I mean, as I've been I've been working on the last couple of weeks, I've been working on my 2017 keynote for a couple of talks that I have. And I just every time I look at it and I go, I just find yet another reason to say to CEOs, this is if you're not doing this, you are missing the boat. You are missing the boat if you are don't have some of your marketing dollars put toward building a media operation because you just watch the entire infrastructure either from my perspective, evolving, or two, from this guy's perspective, completely disintegrating. And either way, that's an opportunity for brands to become good at something that will drive their business forward. I I totally love that take. And not to be a broken record, but I will, because I talk about it on every show. They went, so you had these uh, advertising-based publishing business that has disintegrated. They made the move to native. A lot of these mid-level publishers were able to survive because you had brands throwing native advertising, sponsored content revenue at them. Now that's disintegrating. They They are ready to be purchased. Yes, they have platforms exactly. and audiences, or partnered, or you know, whatever. oh my gosh! I mean, that, what a huge opportunity 
that still you and I go to chief marketing officers and VPs of sales and marketing and they look at us like, I've never thought of that. We're like, yeah. I mean, if you grew up in publishing or in Hollywood like you did, you know, you, you see it. It's it's so obvious <laughs> that you can see this huge opportunity where, you know, I'm not in that business. We could just talk about it. So yeah. hopefully somebody's <laughs> listening and would right. like to, you know, you work for a big company and there you see yes. the opportunity and go for it. And then when you do buy them, just let us know. We'll cover it. We'd love to talk about it. So Yes, exactly. There you go. Exactly. Well, speaking of talking about evolving business models... We should talk about our wonderful, beautiful sponsor, and it's a wonderful, beautiful sponsor for January. It's it's our probably our favorite sponsor. It's our I have favorite to say. sponsor. Yeah, I mean we're yeah. gearing up for 2017, and I'm super excited because, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit concerned, Robert, because I didn't know how 2017 was going to be from an economic standpoint, whether there were going to be training budgets or not. But it looks like 2017 is going to be strong because. We look, we're, we're going to, uh, attendance, we're definitely going to have our biggest intelligent content conference ever. I can tell you that right now. Uh, that's going to be March 28th to 30th, 2017. We definitely want you to be there. It's going to be in Las Vegas. If you were really serious about your content strategy, like some of the things we've been talking about in this show, you have to be there. Go to intelligent content. If you're, if, by the way, if you're a beginner in content marketing, don't come. This is not for you. That's right. If you've been working on your content marketing strategy for a while, a content strategy as an organizational approach is important to you, uh, then you definitely want to be there at uh, intelligentcontentconference.com. You can go there for more information. If you'd like a $100 discount uh, courtesy (gasps) of the show, just use PNR100, PNR100 to get $100 off. $100 discount. That's right. Exactly. So that'll be March 28th to 30th, 2017 in Las Vegas. And then, uh, not to be outdone, we have in, on, uh, uh, of course, September 5th to 8th, 2017, the big show, Content Marketing World. Uh, we already, already have, I think it's over 100 people already signed up for CMW this year, which that's is, great. I mean, we just opened, even begins, we just yeah. opened registration and people are already excited about it, uh, which will be our seventh year. We are super excited about it. I'll be in Cleveland, Ohio again. Go to contentmarketingworld.com for more information. We're expecting four thousand over four thousand delegates from we had seventy two countries represented last year, so I'm assuming we'll have more this year. But uh, it is the holiday for content marketing is content marketing world and content marketing week. So I want to see you there. And then we've got content tech virtual event, our free event, uh, which is February twenty second, two thousand seventeen, which is really led by Mr. Robert Rose, and he's got a great team of people that are going to be talking about the latest in content marketing technology. You don't want to miss it. Go to contentmarketinginstitute.com slash events, contentmarketinginstitute.com slash events for more information on that. And I'm sure we'll have more events to come, but those are the three major events that we have going on, Robert. And uh, it's going to be a fun year. I mean, I think with uh, with the, you know, you're in your your book and my book coming out, uh, which will be released, by the way, at Content Marketing World. It's going to be awesome. So I'm really excited about that. It's going to be, yeah. I mean, but we have really difficult decisions to make, like, should the cover be orange or not? Of the book. Vote not, but uh, but we'll have that we'll have that fight over over beverages of a different kind. <laughs> well, you know where I'm leaning, sir. I but do. Of course I know where you lean. Maybe it I, could be I, white with orange print somewhere. Will you let me we'll, do that? We'll talk about it. All right. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. By all the right. way, the outfield band, the, the, the song you were searching for was Your Love. 
Oh, that's uh, it. Which, yes. Which got to number six on the Billboard Hot 100, as well as number seven on the mainstream rock chart. And Did it became their signature song, so I'm sure they played it. Uh, it said, yeah, it said show. here that Play Deep, their album, uh, which Your yes. Love Is On, was went triple platinum. There you go. Triple platinum. So I, bad on me. I don't know. I don't know who. I don't remember them. So, but uh, the '80s were a bit of a blur for me. So that's okay. Let's we'll just, just leave that. Leave that, that let's there. just leave that. Let's at that. leave it right. It where is that. now time for your favorite part of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Our rants and rave section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like iced tea or something that makes us feel like we are overwhelmed with technology and don't know what the heck to do with ourselves. So uh, let's see, uh, Joe. You are going first because you. You have this old marketing. Oh, I do. Yeah, I like to at least one this old marketing a month for me. <laughs> I'd like to do. Now, uh, I, Robert, I have to apologize a little bit. My this old marketing and my uh, my rave here is uh, it, it's they're linked. All right, well, do you want to go right into it? I don't have to. I don't have to. No, no, no. I don't have to do them together. Okay. But you'll. But I'm going to give you sort of this intro to it. And then I'm going to talk about the this old marketing, and I think okay. I can do them separately. So, just okay. I want to I got a little backstory here. So over the okay. New, Year, New Year's holiday, uh, my son Joshua and I were talking about. It. He was he was actually explaining to me the great video game crash of 1983. Do you remember this, sir? I do not remember. Yeah, this, because no. the 80s were I remember, a blur. To I you. Remember the so, 80s were a blur. For <laughs> you me, don't so. know. You know, you don't know about the great video game crash of 83 or the outfield. Which um, okay, I, we have yeah, so much I to mean, catch up on, my friend. Okay. Uh, I, you know, so even though I was very much a part of the video game environment during 1983, I was 10 years old at the time. I had no idea the background or the magnitude of this event. My son was just teaching me, and it was just it was it was fun to to have him talk about this. And of course, I immediately made it relevant to the content marketing industry. But let me give you some some background here as, as to what I found out about the great video game crash of 1983. So as, as most everyone knows, the late 70s and into the early 80s was the launch of the home video game industry. So you had names like Atari and Television, Activision. The sale of home video games skyrocketed to over $2 billion in 1982. So market was very, very hot. And everyone wanted a piece of the action. So hundreds of companies entered the market after the original few found success. But instead of producing high-quality games, it was a rush to be first to market. And this meant poorly designed games. Even the high-quality game producers uh, started to produce as many games as they possibly could. They cut corners in some cases to get the games out to market. And in, in no time at all, every retailer that was out there at the time, had hundreds of new games for video game consumers to choose from. And then, as you would predict, the demand for games, video games, home video games, dropped off a cliff. And the industry went from $2 billion uh, in 83, or in 82, to $100 million in 1985. That's a drop of over 90%. I just never knew this as he was telling me this. Wow, I'm doing my holy smokes. So over the next few years, <laughs> after 85... All the low-cost, rush-to-market game creators left for other opportunities, or they simply went out of business. But a handful of game creators stayed. And the focus was now, in 1986, on creating the highest quality games possible with the best experiences for consumers. And in 1986, Nintendo president, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Hiroshi Yamauchi, noted, and this is a quote from Hiroshi, Atari collapsed because they gave too much freedom to third-party developers and the market was swamped with rubbish games, end quote. 
In response, Nintendo limited the number of titles that third-party developers could release for their system each year and promoted its, in quotes, seal of quality, end quotes, which it allowed uh, to be used on games and peripherals by publishers that met Nintendo's strict quality standards. And by 1988, the market was back up to $2.3 billion again, uh, with ni- with uh, 70% dominated by Nintendo. And today, Nintendo is worth over $30 billion all by itself. Now, the reason this fascinated me, Robert, because um, you could probably guess, feels very similar to what content marketing has been through. <laughs> right. and, and as the democratization of publishing occurred and everyone could publish and get their content found, there was a rush of low-quality content and the focus was anything but on quality and everything was about volume and speed. We saw brand after brand creating content factories try to take advantage of this opportunity. Remember, I remember this really clearly. Like when you and I were started to go out speaking in 07 and 08, there every every show we went to was about launching a content factory specifically around that topic. Um, and then here we are today. The content factories either have imploded or are on death's door. We definitely don't use that that uh, that statement of content factory. And those brands and publishers. Uh, that are focusing on quality content are the ones who are succeeding. So if the video game crash of 1983 is any indicator, those companies that put in seal of quality processes like Nintendo did and truly focus on creating stories worth telling will be the ones left standing. So, uh, And then I'll go into my This Old Marketing in a little bit, which was around that time, but it's from a brand. But I just thought that as Joshua was telling me about this, it was a worthwhile story. Uh, to talk about just uh, from learning from something that happened, you know, 30 years ago in the video game industry. Fascinating. So, there you yeah, go. That's fascinating. Wow, that's that's a really cool metaphor. That's a really really cool metaphor. It's a, and and a and a and a great sort of cautionary tale about quality and quantity and how it affects markets. Right. You can and learn from history. Everything absolutely. repeats itself. Right. So well, that feeds well into into my. Uh, I have a I have a rant, a small rant, and a and, and a rave um, that I'll that I'll go through quickly here. So I'll start with my my rant. My rave is actually more um, the segue for your for, for what you talked about just a second ago. Yep. Um, but my rant, and this is not a, with the the article that I'm going to link to in the show notes is not. Uh, I'm not ranting on the article because there are – I've literally over the last you – know, as it seems, I don't know why, it seems as the holiday began uh, mid-December and sort of as we've gone through the latter part of December and now to where we are today – I, it seems like every other day now I'm getting an article on this. And so this is just a sample of one of the articles that I got, which is the title of the article is How to Create Social and Marketing Campaigns for Generation Z. Yes, that article <laughs> opens up by saying, you know, have you finally gotten your head wrapped around savvy marketing practices for targeting millennials? Well, too bad, because now you have to start creating strategies for Generation Z. Now, of course, Generation Z is the generation that theoretically starts after the millennials, um, basically, and there's some dispute here, people born from 1996, you know, who are basically hitting their late teens and early 20s now, right? Literally, as we come into 2016, 2017, and, and approaching 2020, are coming of age. And this article goes on to explain about you know, all of the, you know, sort of unique attributes of people of this age. And I combine it with this other thing that seems to be hitting my email box and my social feed sort of every other 10 minutes, which is this video of Simon Sinek, which has gone a bit viral um, over the last couple of weeks about millennials and technology. 
and about all of the challenges there. And in both cases, so, you know, I mean, you know, and, 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 and people who've come to the workshops and, and have heard me in any, any frequency know that I don't love the idea of millennials because I think it's become a pejorative word. And I think Generation Z has every chance of becoming just as sort of derogatory de- explanation of, of, of a particular age group. And I think we just, we, we got to stop the nonsense. I mean, it, to me, looking at this and saying, looking at this cohort of individuals as anything other than just a group of people that have different tastes than we do is a mistake. They're not aliens. And they're, th- this one's, this article and the many that have, are, are sort of looking at it in the same way that I see the, you know, it's taking some of the first steps I saw when millennial marketing started to become a thing, um, sort of, you know, about eight, 10 years ago, um, where we had to have special classes to learn how to manage millennials. And now we have to have special traits. So it's this thing where, all of a sudden, we all have to start behaving differently because there's some special group that needs some special attention or special sort of, you know, have special attributes. And guess what? They're not. They're just people. And they do. Th- and, and, and the thing that sort of brought it to, to a head for me was this Simon Sinek video where he opens up. And the Simon Sinek video, by the way, is good. I think it's really, you know, Simon Sinek is a smart guy and he's, he's observed some really interesting things. And so the video is definitely worth a watch. But he opens it up by saying, this is a millennial challenge. Millennials are special and they need, you know, helicopter parenting and all the stuff that we know about that I don't need to go into. But then he goes into this addiction of technology, the addiction of social media, how it's, you know, some stuff that we've talked about on this show before that social media makes you more depressed. And if you use it so often, it can, you know, really hurt your culture and all, all those things that we've seen out there. And my point here is, is that these are people problems that affect everybody, not one particular cohort independently. In other words, he opens up by saying, here are millennials as a separate group, and then here are all the challenges that sort of exist. And if you listen to the challenges, it's like, I've seen old people, like, my age and older that have addictions to social media and to, you know, and to digital technology and to, you know, suffering depression because they, they're online too long and all that kind of stuff. This is not a millennial challenge. And so I just want us to, as we sort of have a refresh into the new year, I want to just take us a breath and say, you know what, let's, let's, let's look at our strategies and our marketing and, and, and figure out how we appeal to people, not necessarily looking at them as alien people that are or alien races that have to be dealt with in special ways. Anyway, that's just a bit of a rant. T- and Tell me how you really feel, sir. Yeah, sorry. That's um, not anyway, hey, don't so, apologize. We don't apologize this, on this show. The second one <laughs> is a rave, um, and it's a book that I'm about 60% of the way through okay. that I got as a gift. Um, so big hat tip here to my friend, Tim Walters, who sent me this book because it's just fabulous. So thank you, Tim, for this sort of the, the, the learning that I got out of this book. Um, it's called The Lords of Strategy, The Secret Intellectual History of the New Corporate World. Um, and it's uh, by a guy by the name of Walter Keichel, I believe is his name, K-I-E-C-H-E-L. Um, just an amazing book. It is a book about basically the birth of corporate strategy, which, you know, it's I mean, you, you sort of look at it and you don't understand or you don't appreciate the fact that corporate strategy, big business strategy is a very new practice. You know, the, businesses in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s didn't even use the word strategy. 
And it was really not even considered a practice, a business practice until the 1960s. And that's fascinating in and of itself. But this book really focuses on corporate strategy, big business sort of overall strategy, what we think of as as business strategy these days, and the emergence of what they call basically these four originators uh, of the, you know, the, the gurus of business strategy. And they talk about it all really coming out of the Boston Consulting Group. And so you had these four guys, Bruce Henderson of the Boston Consulting Group, Bill Bain, who created Bain and Company out of Boston Consulting Group. Then you had Fred Gluck, who was the managing director of McKinsey, and Michael Porter, of course, the famous Harvard Business School professor. And it's just it's it's not a it's not a business book. It's a journalism book. It's it's the it's the documentation of this story of how corporate strategy sort of became a thing. And how the consulting, the management consulting firm sort of evolved from the 60s to the 70s um, and into the 80s. And then it sort of ends right around the birth of the Internet. And it's just a fascinating book. And I'm about 60 percent of the way through with it. And I just could not recommend it any higher. It's just a wonderful book. Oh, you know that I'm, I'm into books for 2017. So I'm adding yeah, it's a great one. List. It's a long read. It's a long read, but it's a, it's a great read. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to read. Uh, I saw it in the paper the other day, a book called. Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, yeah, sure. And no, it a, basically, and book. all I read was the abstract. So I'm going to read the book, but it talks about how uh, there's this, uh, these findings about creativity and like farming and, you know, raising goats and just do, playing the piano and doing creative things that really leads to happiness. Yeah, so I want to. Exactly. I'm going to check that out. I'm going to read both of them at the same time, get a little strategy nice. on, get a little, get a little creativity goat, on. Yeah, yeah, get a little goat herding on. <laughs> All that stuff. Um, so that was fantastic. Thank you for the recommendation. So the uh, this old marketing this week, so you'll get the interplay between the great video game crash. So while I was getting educated by my son about this, he was telling me about this video game called Chase the Chuck Wagon. <laughs> you laugh, but this is awesome. <laughs> that's that's Tuesday for me. That's that's what I do every day. I chase the chuck wagon. I'm a food. I like my food. I chase chase the, my chuck wagon. Yeah. So basically, I just, the, the learning here is that it actually pays to listen to your kids once in a while. Okay. Because I got right. I, the, I got a, this old marketing example out of it. Uh, chase the Chuck Wagon is a 1983 promotional video game distributed by Ralston Purina for the Atari 2600 home console. It was available only via mail order by sending proofs of purchase to Purina. So first of all, love the idea because Purina was building its database by creating a a content experience. It just happened to be a home video game. So I love that whole aspect of it. Now, this is interesting. So I'm going to go through and read this is uh, the the history here. So as part of the promo of a promotion involving Chuck Wagon line of dog food, Purina contracted video game distributor SpectraVision to create a game theme around dogs and dog food. Customers could redeem proofs of purchase from bags of dog food in exchange for the game, an example of a new marketing technique that emerged during the popularity of video games in the early 1980s. Fascinating. In practice, the promotion was relatively unsuccessful. Uh, Well, you'll see why here in a second. Although the game today, so what's really funny and the reason why Joshua knew all about it is, is the it is one of the most collectible games, Atari video games of all times. Is that right? Yeah. 
So huh. uh, it says the game has a reputation among collectors of Atari video games. It is far from the rarest of games for the Atari 2600, but its history is said to grant it a disproportionate amount of interest. Video Game Trader referred to it as the Holy Grail of Atari 2600 online or video game collecting. So I just thought that that was interesting. But so we go back to so so go back to the my my rave about my rant and rave about how there was this glut of video games being produced and the really low quality. So unfortunately, Purina fell for this because they said, "Oh, this is a great opportunity." Just think about content marketing right today. Oh, we want to get into it. We're going to start publishing. Let's do this. So the idea behind it was sound in general, in principle, was sound. But uh, the uh, the creator of the program, Mike Schwartz, this is a quote from Mike Schwartz, who was hired by Spectrovision to create this for Purina. Mike says, I was approached by a good friend who ran basically SpectreVision, and he badly needed this game programmed over a weekend. Wow. It Yes, it took me all of three days to cobble this game together. I had existing code from my first game, Artillery Duel, to look at. The sound effects were basically the same. I apologize for the weak gameplay, but I was rushed. I just- <laughs> <laughs> nice. So anyways, oh my gosh. I love the idea. So here's the idea. Ralston Purina went with the video game, enhanced their database. They had a nice little promotion effort going on with the video game and their chuck wagon line of dog food. But they sort of fell into, well, the content doesn't have to be that good, does it? They do this thing over a weekend, and, and here you have it. And it just so happens that... Uh, it is one of the most collected Atari video games, which isn't necessarily helping uh, Purina's business 30 well, years later, but it is somewhat interesting. So so, it, uh, so here's the thing. If there's anybody at Ralston Purina listening, holy smokes, you could take that these days. And if you could somehow find the original game and, you know, because, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but but like ROMs, like online ROMs are now like a thing, right, where you can make these old Atari games playable through a web browser yeah, um, or make them downloadable to be played on like an iPhone or a iPad or even your windows computer or whatever it is, you can do that. And so boy, if Ralston Purina was, was hip to this, they could, there's a whole, there's a whole thing just waiting for them to, to, to turn the, the legend the of wagon. the legend of the chasing the chuck wagon into a new thing. It's that would be that that's a great idea. Oh, isn't that something? God. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> that's so really that's fun. Bad. That's the this all marketing for the week. So. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So where are you this week? What are you doing? Uh, new week. New, new year. week. Yeah, back in. Uh, I don't have travel for a week or, or so. So I'm I'm in. We're working on content marketing world. You know, it's getting back to the swing of things. I got yeah. you know email bonanza over the last couple of weeks, and I pretty much laid low. Tried to stay out of my email box. So good I'm for just you. Back at work, getting stuff done, working on the book. Excited about that, and uh, you know, just back into the swing of things. How about you? Very nice. Well, I am traveling actually this week. I I fly tomorrow, but uh, it's for a training thing. I'm actually taking a class, um, and it's a master class in uh, public speaking. So I'm trying to sharpen my public speaking knife a little bit, and so I'm going out to Philadelphia, and I'm going to be taking uh, a three day master class on getting better at doing public speaking, oh, and then I'm home good. for the next for the following week, and and all this time I'll be writing on the book and working and and doing all that stuff too. But I'm really excited about it. 
Good for you. Well, let me know. Yeah. Let me know what I can improve upon. I when will. You find out. I'll let you know what I can improve yeah, upon. I want, I want to know the secrets <laughs> to great public speaking. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for episode number 164. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose, and we are signing off. If you like this episode, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? And if you haven't yet, we do hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com and leave us that review, subscribe, and let us know. Won't you hashtag us up at This Old Marketing on the Twitter? We would love to thank you personally for each and every one of those things. That's how much we appreciate you as a subscriber to our little rap show that we do every week. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, we love them. Hashtag us up as well at This Old Marketing on Twitter, or you can send us an email at This Old Marketing at ContentInstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that are available on uh, as we publish on monday night and of course in their full replete wonderful glory in orange on the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on saturdays until next week everybody remember it's your story to tell tell it well welcome to 2017 see you next week on this old marketing Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.